Now we're going to do Nehemiah part three, uh, as Nehemiah is in Jerusalem and is now going to begin to start the process of rebuilding. I'm going to reference extensively chapters two and three in Nehemiah. I'm not going to read all the verses. You can read them at home. Uh, but uh, his focus now is as he's gone back, made the 800-mile trip to Jerusalem, he is now going to attempt to bring all the disparate groups that have been there for 150 years in this broken-down city that's being run roughshod over by the enemies of Israel, that has been burned by fire, ruined by pillagers, as he's going to attempt to bring these people uh, together. Uh, and so uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, he speaks to the people as he brings them back, and he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me, and they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. What a great speech. What a great sermon. Let us rebuild. And notice what he says there. Is he, he's not saying, let me do it. Let me be your leader. What he's saying, you see the trouble we are in. You look and you can see it. You can see the broken walls. And by the way, remember here, as we speak about the physical walls, there is a higher uh, message going on symbolically of the spiritual walls. And that's why this lesson is so important to us, this message. It is not just the physical walls of Jerusalem. It's our own spiritual walls. And we are surrounded by broken walls. Our friends and family have broken walls in their lives. And this message is about that, that God is empowering you to look out and see and help to restore these broken walls. So as he says here, look, look, you see the trouble we are in. Now, this man traveled 800 miles. He had a great job. You know, he was back there uh, in, in Babylon being right-hand person to the king. He didn't have to do this, but now he goes and he says, this is our trouble. We have this trouble. That's one of the lessons of ministry. You want to be successful in ministry, let people know that it is a joint effort, a unified effort. We are in this together. And then he said, come let us rebuild. Not you rebuild. You, not, you need to be rebuilding, but let us rebuild together. And what an incredible thing. And so you see how the hearts of the people are touched. And this is what happens when the hand of God is on you. Uh, and when you're doing the will of God, his hand is on you. And so what, he's, what you see this, the people said, yes, let us start rebuilding. What a great, amazing message this is. That after over 100 years of disaster, uh, this man will come as the servant of God and will inspire leadership in such an incredible way. Uh, and so what you see is people had tried to start rebuilding the walls years before, but it had all been for failure. Now God is involved. And so Nehemiah <clears throat> explained his vision for the rebuild, and this was a critical me me uh, meeting. He knew he couldn't do this job by himself. This is a question of unifying the people from coming from disparate backgrounds, getting them to understand that this is the hand of God. Uh, and so God wants us to share our vision with others. This is another important lesson of ministry. 
Uh, and that's why I'm preaching on this, because I want you to be involved in ministry. You need to share your vision of ministry with others. You need to let people know, this is what I have in mind, and get them to join with you. Uh, this is a very solid example for us to follow in our own lives. Now, Nehemiah didn't come to these people and speak to them as if it was their problem. He didn't do that, if you notice that. What he did is he talked about their joint problem. He saw that he wanted them to share the vision that God had given them uh, and that he identified right along with them in such a powerful way. Come and let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Let us do it together. Uh, and so what Nehemiah reckoned with was that if God could move the heart of a pagan king to be his partner, how much more? How much more would he touch the citizens, the Jewish citizens of this broken city? Uh, and so he recognized that he needed to just deliver this message. He needed to tell them, look, look at the mess you're in. Look at how this city is in reproach. Look at how the gates are broken down. Look at how the enemies of God are running roughshod among us. And that's the message. When you see the broken walls in people's lives, you need to go to them, lift them up and affirm them and tell them about what the better way is to live life. And so what he knew was that physically fixing the broken walls would have a spiritual impact as well. F fixing the physical broken down walls would spiritually raise up and legitimize these people. Now we should notice here that when Nehemiah did this, he didn't beg, he didn't wield, uh, he, he didn't try to make a bargain he didn't try to pay people. Uh, he recognized he had a high calling from God. God had called him to this. So he didn't need to do all those things that we might think as human beings, I got to market myself. I got to find a way to market this plan. He didn't have to do that. He didn't offer rewards or incentives. In fact, what he did is he delivered the simple, powerful message of God. And then he let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Now, the response of the leaders was of God, and this is what you will see in your lives, that when you're involved in ministry and you step up and God anoints you to do it, that when you live this kind of a life, you see that they agree to be a party to the work, and that's what you're going to see. I see it here in this church when I see a, a multitude number of ministries going forth in so many ways, and I see people coming together, it just lifts me up in joy, because that's why God has created this church. This church is created for you to have an opportunity to serve. Look, I want you to come, and I hope I deliver the kind of sermons that touch your heart. But if I don't fail to get you to lift your heart and find a way to serve the Lord, then you know what? I'm going to have a lot of explaining to Jesus when I get on the other side. Don't put me in that position, okay? I'm begging you. Don't put me in that position. I don't want him to say, John, I had a lot of great plans for you, but hey, bud, you didn't do it, all right? And so that's, that's my responsibility to him. This is your responsibility to him as well. And so they set their hands together to do this great work, rebuilding the wall. Imagine, after 150 years, uh, and so the people were genuinely influenced uh, by his leadership. Now, here's the lesson. Every time God will use you and appoint you to some great work, every time you step up, and try to serve God, the enemies of God will rise up and seek to stop you. It happens all the time. 
And the more powerfully God is going to use you, the more powerfully the enemies of God will raise up. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, the opposition arises. And look how the opposition uh, addresses. They laughed and mocked Nehemiah. Uh, and we should not be surprised with that. They, you're, you know, what, who are you? You're a loser. Who do you think you are? You're going to do this? Who, who are you going to think? I told you that when I, when I was first on the radio, that I didn't have anything to do with the radio, that the, the radio people approached me. But there were people, even from within a church, that attacked me and said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are going on the radio? I didn't think I was anybody. I wasn't going on the radio to advance myself. I wasn't getting paid to be on the radio. I was going on the radio to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand? And so what happens? Satan doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want one other person to be saved. So if I can find a way to knock him down, knock you down, that's exactly what will happen. Well, this happened here to Nehemiah. The opponents rose and they mocked him out. And I'm sure they mocked the people. What do you think you're doing? You can't fix this. You've tried before. You're a bunch of losers. Uh, and because Satan is deeply disturbed that a man of God would come to try to rebuild the people of God. Satan doesn't want to see the people of God rebuilt. Satan doesn't want to see broken lives rebuilt. And so if you're out there doing ministry, helping, speaking, affirming, Satan is going to find a way to knock you down. Let me tell you that. Uh, and you should be prepared for it just as Nehemiah was, as in this powerful story. And so these opponents were, in many ways, fellow brothers and Jews. How about that? Is that a shock? That fellow Jews would be opponents? Fellow brothers would be opponents? Uh, and I would say this, opponents from our own brothers even within the church, is possibly the single most painful thing that we can go through. And let me say to you, I have experienced this. I have experienced the, the attack uh, of brothers and sisters within the church being used by Satan, not recognizing that they're being used by Satan. And it can be a very painful experience. Don't be shocked it doesn't mean that God's not involved in your work. In fact, it means it is involving God. But Satan will do anything he can to try to derail you, even if it means bringing people within your community of believers uh, to detract from you. And so it's very painful. It's very painful. Uh, and it involves betrayal as well, you see. And you sit there and you say, how can people who are my friends... How can people who I thought were my intimate friends betray me and not understand what I'm doing? And I want you to understand something. That when that happens, here's what God is telling you. It's time to get new friends. All right? It's time to get new friends. Just because you've had friends for your whole life, and now God is calling you into a different work. He's raising you and using you to be involved in ministry, and people that you thought were your friends your whole life suddenly don't see it your way, suddenly don't want to walk with you. Guess what? You need new friends. Let's understand this. This is painful, but it's important to understand. And now let's look at what Paul says about the call on our lives and our churches. 
Uh, and, and you can see this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. What does this mean? It means that when you see Johnny Jones, who may have been your friend, suddenly not going along with what you're doing, not supporting you in what you're doing, don't think it's Johnny Jones. You understand? It's people being used by Satan, not even understanding it, because what we're involved with in the spiritual life is not flesh and blood. This is not like leading a business. This is on a much higher realm. We are involved in advancing the kingdom of God, and we are being opposed by hundreds and hundreds of millions of demon powers all over the world. In every single governmental power, they sit there at the right hand of these rulers. These are the authorities. These are the principalities. This is an amazing thing for you to understand how much evil is pervasive. Folks, this is Satan's world. And all you have to do is pick up the newspaper and you understand it in every way. All right? Satan has dominion in this world. He won't have it forever, but right now he has it. And so that's what we're fighting. We're fighting these principalities. Principalities meaning what? Meaning that there are very governmental powers that are being controlled by Satan. Look, you see what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Is that a shock? You don't need to watch Fox News to understand that. You're going to hear it right here from the pulpit from the Bible. All right? Let me tell you something. Let me say it very clearly. Satan is involved in directing government. Okay? We have to pray. We have to say, Lord, please take control. But you see it here with Nehemiah. He understood it from this attack to stop the rebuilding of Jerusalem, stop the rebuilding of the walls. So you have to understand how important it is for you to recognize who our enemies are. Now, these opponents were completely ignorant. They didn't realize that the king of Persia effectively had granted Nehemiah the authority to go back. But even more importantly than that, they didn't recognize that the God of the universe was there, that the God of the universe had, had decreed that this is for you. And so Nehemiah makes this impassioned statement to the enemies, which should go on every refrigerator in this church. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, I answered them, the opponents, by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. That's it. That's what you say. This is God's work. God is with it. God is behind me. But as for you, you have no part of it. You will have no legacy in it. You will have no claim on it. The curtain has gone down. And God sees this. God sees who these opponents are. Let me tell you something. There is a day of judgment for the, for the people who oppose the work of God. Really, there's a day of judgment. And we have to pray for them, but it's a very serious thing. And so it does not matter if we receive opposition to the Lord's work. Uh, we will overcome it with God's help. 
Let me assure that for you. So if you're involved in ministry, and I hope you are, and if you're finding it rough sledding at times, and you're finding that you're not being praised, and people aren't building a parade for you, all right, where's the parade? I don't get it. Where's the parade? I want to assure you there is a parade. It's in heaven. There's in heaven. And let me tell you, I, I speak with personal experience. You know, I've been involved in the Lord's work my whole life. And I told you the story uh, of us, uh, God putting on my heart that we had to buy that poor woman who was raising her, her grandchildren by herself, that they lived in a 600-square-foot trailer, uh, that her son killed himself and murdered the wife right there in the driveway outside in this horrible condition. And God laid on my heart that we had to come together and build and rebuild that and get her a home. And when I went to the church and asked about it, and they said, well, what can we do? What can we do? And I said, we can. And I went back to my Bible groups and inspired them and talked to them about my plan. And they, they lifted up their hearts, and we raised several hundred thousand dollars, bought that woman a house, fully furnished it, put those kids in that house. Today, those kids are living godly lives uh, in, a, in, a, in a godly way. And here's the story I'm telling you today. I never got a single word of praise from the church. No one came to me and said, well done. Well done. Oh, this is a mighty work of God. Your people are outstanding. Well done. Uh, in fact, some, one of the leaders of the church said to me, they heard some men talking to me about the home that we had bought, and this particular leader of the church said, what, what, you bought somebody a house? And I didn't, you know, I'd always downplayed things. Well, yes, the Lord moved on our hearts. Never a word of praise. You understand? Never a word of praise. And that's how you should learn to live your life. Don't look for the parade. Don't look for the praise. Understand that if you're working for God, God sees it. God will acknowledge it. God will raise you up. God will affirm it. Uh, and here's the, the, the critical lesson here. There is a responsibility on you when God has convicted you to act. When he has convicted you to act, a failure to act is a sin. Oh, John, come on now, really? That, that's a sin? Yes, it's a sin. If God has moved you to act in some way, and when I said move you to act, he may have touched you to give some money, to support some ministry effort, to step up and do something for the work of God, somebody who's downcast, God touches your heart, and you fail to act, that is a sin. That is what we call a sin of omission. And we never want to be involved in this. And so a failure to act will lead to our own personal defeat. Your lives will, will not be where God wants it to be. Uh, and our spiritual enemies would like this to take place. And I'm inspiring you today to say to you, don't ever, ever fall into that issue. And so Nehemiah tells his enemies in Jerusalem that they will have no legacy. They will have no more important history in the working of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and so I am reminded, really, of the words of Jesus when he sent his disciples out in the world to spread the gospel. And you know, so many people lose sight of, of Jesus. They see Jesus as, as this loving, welcoming presence 
Clearly, he was. He came to this world to die on the cross. But remember what Jesus said when he sent the disciples out, gave them instructions. I want you to spread the gospel. But look at what he said in Matthew 10, verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet. Lord, what do you mean? I mean this, that when you're involved in my work, when you're involved in the advancing of the Lord's work, if you're meeting opposition, if you're not being welcomed, if you're not being loved, shake the dust off your feet. Now you leave it to God. That's not your responsibility. You are only a messenger. And so this is another important lesson for us to learn as we do ministry in so many ways. Uh, Opposition doesn't go away. Just because you're doing the work of God, don't be depressed that God doesn't suppress the opposition. God has his own methods of judgment, but God will lift you up and affirm you in such a way. God's work will get done. He will get it done in his own time and in his own way. You don't have to worry about that. And so Nehemiah stands up bravely against these adversaries. I love this guy, this simple man. He's not a prophet. He's not a preacher. He was a cupbearer, that's all. He was expendable. Someone reminded me that the cupbearer tasted all the food. If somebody wanted to poison the king, they'd give, Nehemiah would taste it first and die. He was expendable. You got it? All right? But it didn't matter. He stepped up because he had been convicted to advance the kingdom of God. And so in his lesson, his statement to the adversaries of God, he makes three important points that are a key point of this message today. First, the success of the people does not depend on their skill, bravery, wealth, or even the king's permission. Let me repeat that. The success of the mission does not depend on the skill bravery, or wealth of the people. Remember that. If God is calling you, it doesn't matter that you may not be the smartest light in the room, all right? Or may not have all the skills that you think you have. If God has called you, he's going to give you what you need. You understand? All right? He's going to give you what you need. Uh, And I hear people say to me, well, you know, John, you can get up and preach. Uh, You know the Bible. I don't know. That doesn't matter. If God calls you, you see, he's going to give you what you need to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've told you the story that one of the most poignant messages ever delivered to me in my life, and I will say the single most poignant message that I ever heard in my life, I heard in a darkened church with nobody there when a mentally handicapped 16-year-old woman behind me said, oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And at that word, with that word, that message to me was, okay, John, I knew it immediately. You can go and speak in courtrooms all over America, but I never heard you once say those simple words about me publicly. Oh, Lord, is that what this is about? You want me to speak publicly? And once I understood it, my life would never be the same. You see how that world, that woman changed one person's life? And it's like somebody said once to Billy Graham's sister, you know, don't you realize that Billy Graham is the most important influential evangelist in the history of the world? She says, oh, oh, no, no. No, actually, the 
the person that gave the gospel to my brother over the back fence in the farm was the most influential. How about that, folks? Maybe you could be that person that gave the gospel to Billy Graham to see how the world changes. That's how Jesus works. That's how this is about in such an incredible way. Secondly, Nehemiah said, and this is important, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? That's an important thing. If you're doing the work of God, you're advancing the kingdom of God, no one can stop you. Oh, they may make it a little difficult. They may throw nails in your way. They may put obstacles in your way, but they cannot stop you. And that's important to understand it. That's a fundamental reason that we have to persevere in everything we do as we advance the kingdom of God. Uh, And third, Nehemiah informs these people that they will have no legacy in the work of God. They cannot come back afterwards and try to claim some ownership in it. God will not allow it. God will not allow it. Uh, They'll have no right to claim any of the land in Jerusalem. And so the building begins. And so it begins in Nehemiah chapter 3. And now the, chapter, the third chapter of Nehemiah has numerous names of families that have come together to re- rebuild the wall. And it included the Levites and the priests. Let me re- reemphasize that. It included the Levites and the priests. These guys normally wouldn't pick up a hammer if their life would depend on it. You understand? They viewed themselves in the clerical uh, staff. They didn't do heavy lifting. But even they, inspired by the movement of God and the hand of God, stepped up and were part of this project. Uh, And so what you see here is literally no one is not involved in some work of the wall. Uh, And here's what's happening. How about this? Crops are not being planted. You got that? Or harvested. Or the normal expectation of the day-to-day responsibility of work is not taking place. But the hand of God is on it, and the work is advanced. Somebody asked me last week or the week before uh, about the issue of balance in my life, in their life. If God is calling me to do something, do I need to worry about the balance? Obviously, I still need to be attentive to some secular duties, but but how can I have that and be balanced? Well, let me say this. Don't worry about God robbing you. All right? Don't worry about God robbing you. God will never rob you. If God has called you to do a work, rest assured, all those other things in your life that you're concerned about are going to be taken care of. All right? You're going to have all the money that you're going to need. You're going to have all the organizational aspect of your need. Uh, And so you see that. This is important to understand this. Uh, God wants you to put everything that you can for him. Everything in your life, all your talent, all your skill, all your commitment, and he will bless it. And he will not rob you in any way. God will never rob you. In fact, God will, will multiply what you do a hundredfold. A hundredfold. I mean, I've seen it in my own life. I saw it with my own mother and father, who we lived, we lived the most simple life. I told you that we lived in a, in a four-room house in which there was only one bedroom. My mom and dad slept in a dining room, slept in a dining room for their whole marriage because he was devoted to serving a church in which he didn't even get a salary. 
He relied on a free will offering from a blue-collar church, whatever was put in the basket. Can you imagine having somebody do this for 55 years? All right? And I slept in the kitchen until I was 18 years old. You think God robbed me? You think he robbed me? Here I am now, living in Naples, Florida. You think he denied something in my life? And instead, what did God do? He blessed that family. He allowed me to go to law school. He allowed my sister to go to graduate school. And he gave my mother and father everything that they ever needed and have absolute happiness their entire life, living well into their 80s. Did God rob them? Did they give up anything for God? No. Instead, they just sent it ahead. You understand? And that's the story here of what it means to serve God in every way, what it means. Uh, and so God, this is an important lesson for us to understand as we recommit ourselves every Sunday to serving God. Uh, and so here it is. This town, this city lies in ruins. The walls are in ruins. The people are disunified. And now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and this godly man, the message of God comes and the power of God comes and the people become unified and they set out to rebuild the broken walls, not only physically but spiritually. Uh, and so what we see here is there a secret here, and it is to sanctifying people by allowing them to do work for the kingdom of God. That's how God sanctifies you. He looks for you to do work for the kingdom of God. So look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the nature of what this is about. That's why you come out here every Sunday. That's why you get involved in ministry. That's what it means, that God is giving you preachers and pastors and prophets and evangelists and Bible studies so that you are equipped to serve him. And in the serving of God, we become unified and we become mature uh, and we become advanced in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and eventually become Christ-like in our lives. That's what this is about. That's what Paul wrote about and so these various leadership roles were given within a church for that very reason, inspired by the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God. And so if our time is spent in Bible study or in church, and we are not doing some kind of ministry, we're not leading in some way, well then you know what? All that time is spent for, money, for nothing. You'd be better off going out golfing, really. You'd be better off just doing something else, getting in a boat. Because if you're not being inspired to advance the kingdom of God, then you're missing the whole picture of what this is about. And Paul says in this section of scripture that the work of service is the very means by which we attain to the unity of the faith. That's why we attain the unity of the faith. As we serve together, that's what this is about. This isn't about me being the boss or, or in any way, it's about me joining with you together, serving with you together as we advance the kingdom of God. 
And if we don't do it, then we are being robbed of sanctification. We must exhort the people of God to serve uh, in any capacity whatsoever. This is how we get stronger and get closer to God. And so in Jerusalem, the walls sat in ruins for decades, broken down, the enemies of Jerusalem and Israel running roughshod through them. Uh, and even though the people recognized that they, they should rebuild it, they never did. They were not inspired. And in that day, finally, when Israel got the call of God, when the Holy Spirit touched their hearts and when they recognized they must come together, we must be unified together, uh, and when they began to rebuild together, they were all mutually edified their spirits were all elevated together. They were all becoming sanctified under the banner of Jesus Christ and God himself. Uh, and so this becomes important. This is our responsibility to the people of God. Each and every one of you has this responsibility. Don't look and say, that's your responsibility, John. I'm sitting in the chairs. No, no, God is looking at you right now and saying that you have an equal responsibility with John. This is all of our responsibility to step up and advance the kingdom of God. Look, the world doesn't appreciate this. The world despises it. Satan would like nothing better than to knock you down, to mock you and challenge you. And yes, even some of your former friends won't understand it. That's why I said, you need new friends. You understand? This is the call of God on your life. Don't let another day go by. Don't let another hour go by that you don't accept the call of God in your life. To know, Father, I want to spend whatever time I have left advancing your will. I want to do your will, Lord, in any way that you see to call me. I will step up. I will not be afraid in any way that you will rob me. Oh, Lord, I know that you will advance the kingdom of God in my life. Let Nehemiah, let Nehemiah be the example we live by. Amen, church? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this mighty man of God, Nehemiah. What a great picture it is of a simple man who was inspired by you, Father, by the Holy Spirit to step up, who was convicted and yet understood conviction means action. I don't just sit there and contemplate, but I pray, and after I pray, I know I have to step up and do it. Lord, we ask you to anoint every single one of our members here to feel the power of this message, to not leave here today and be in the status quo, but to say today, I will be your servant. I will advance the kingdom of God. I will step up. I don't care who's with me. I don't care who's against me because who can be against me if you, Father, if you, Father, are with me. Amen, church. Amen.